0: Hi, folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer here with Sparkles for Better Mental Health. This show is all about personal growth. And today I'm extremely excited to have a special guest here, John Giardano. John has gone through an incredible life transformation from the stigma of childhood sexual abuse, homelessness, and a severe addiction to being a renowned addiction expert with 36 years of sobriety. He even started his own holistic treatment center with only $300 and it was worth a lot more after that. 45 million, is that right? Yep. You published three books. You're a consultant for South Beach Detox and a chaplain for the North Miami Police Department. Wow. Welcome to the show, John.
1: Thank you.
0: I'm honored to have you. I ask all my guests, how did you get to the place where you are now? Where did you start? What happened?
1: How did I get here? One uh-huh. step at a time. Uh-huh. I'm not even sure I'm here. <laughs> well, you know, it's, um, it was a heck of a journey. You want me to tell you how I started and where I went? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. We have time okay. to, um, to hear stories. Time? I love the stories. You know, they are okay. so important. People can how much time, time do we
1: have?
0: We have about a half hour, 45 minutes, Max. Okay.
1: So I'll make it real quick. Okay. Um, I started off with my family. Uh, I wrote my, well, I wrote a book. It's called The Kid from the South Bronx Who so Never Gave Up. Mm-hmm. And that's my roadmap to success. So just, if it's okay we you, I just want to read something and then I'll go into my story. Ah. It's called The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. Here is my roadmap for positive change. There is one thing in this world, one special lesson, one constant that has guided me through the turbulent waters of life. This infinite rule, which most people know, ignore, or simply do not follow their life lessons. That is, no matter The obstacles, the people that get in our way, or things that slow us down, follow this one simple rule. Never give up on your dreams, never let go of your passions, and especially never give up on yourself or a God of your understanding. I was blessed to become extremely successful, and I'd like to share my story with you. This is how my life was transformed and I was saved from falling into the abyss of hell and by following this one rule and learning how to have a life worth living. So that's my start off, and then I'll tell you about my life.
0: That is beautiful, but you didn't start that beautiful, I'm sure.
1: No, everything has a beginning, a middle and an end. And mine's still going, so I'm, I'm going to be. I don't want to
0: say you're not at the end yet.
1: 70, I'm going to be 76 in a in a week, Good so I'm still going. I don't take medications. I don't take anything. I'm in great shape. Um, I follow what I teach.
0: Lots of sparkles waiting for you, as I always say. Yeah.
1: Okay, so um, when I was eight. My father went to. My father was a heroin dealer. My family was like a mafia family. My uncle was a hitman. Uh, my other family members were doing the things. Uh, at eight and a half, I got molested by some kids in the neighborhood, some boys, and it was kind of confusing for me because part of me liked what they did, and the other part just gave me shame and guilt, and it, it just drove me crazy for a while. And then at nine. I got molested by my babysitter. She was 14. And so I went through that roller coaster ride. I, I went uh, while my father was in jail. I went and joined some gangs that was in a black guy, Hispanic gang, Irish gang, Italian gang, all kinds of different gangs. And then eventually, um, I don't want to give the whole story, so I'll just give pieces of it. I went and uh, I got into karate. And karate helped me to channel my anger and channel the way I was emotionally feeling. Um, also, at twelve, matter of fact, at twelve, let me digress. At twelve years old, I had like an eating disorder because I uh, kids used to call me Fat John, and I wasn't really overweight. I was just a chubby little kid. You know, as, as kids grow, they get you know heavy and thin and. But anyway, I looked at that and I stopped eating and I became anemic. And my mother got crazy when she went to the doctor with me. And uh, they said, what do you mean? I feed him. What do you mean? He's, he's anemic. And then um, I went through that and that passed. Uh, then at 14 and a half, I joined karate class and my life changed. I got out of the gangs. I started competing. I became a national karate champion. Um and uh, also judo champion, and um, I also studied jujitsu. jitsu So then I found a girl, I got married, my uncle was, and what had happened was the caterer uh, insulted my uncle at the wedding. So the next morning he killed him. So we had to go, my wife and I, my new wife, and my new family, had to leave to go back to Florida. So that was kind of like a nightmare. And um, then there's more about that what happened in the book. So then uh, as time went on, uh, I started to, uh, we moved to Florida and what happened was the first drug ever did was LSD. And um, I did that because my students, when I was teaching karate in Florida, they used to come to my class, stone, and what I used to say to them, "What are you doing?" So I used to exercise them until they threw up, and figured out to discourage them from coming to my class like that. But it didn't. And one day they said, "Well, why don't you see what it's like?" So one day a friend of mine came over, and he had this little clear, little bottle with clear liquid in it. And I said, "What's that?" He said, "LSD." So this was 1965. And it was it was pure lehargic acid. But what I didn't know it was for five people. So I said, "Let me see the bottle." I took it, opened it up, and drank the whole thing. Well, I was gone for four days on this journey of the psychedelic trip. And then from there, I kept doing it because I felt my mind was getting expanded and doing all these different things. And then I went on, I went to pot, and then I went to pills, and then I I tried opiates once. I didn't like it. I got sick. I never drank because I got nauseous when I drank. Um, Fast forward to all the things that happened to me. Uh, Then what I wind up doing, and it was interesting because I was successful in almost everything I touched, even though I was using drugs and alcohol. Giving you an example, I did eight plays in a theater performing arts in Jackie Gleason Theater at Miami Beach Kabuki Theater. I put together, I wrote it, directed it, acted in it, uh, did the marketing for it and we had standing room only. So I did that. And then I also did, uh, I threw a concert with James Brown um, for a grand opening of a flea market in Liberty City in Overtown. Now Liberty City and Overtown, in the black community, is where the riots went on in 1980-81. And most people didn't want to go into the city. They were afraid. So what I did was I went around to all the churches and all the deacons, and I was singing and dancing in the churches and, you know, and getting them to come over to support me in the flea market. Because what I did was I created a theme for the flea market. What I did was I went to the SBA people, small business A booth in the flea market. Okay, I teach them how to run a business, how to buy wholesale, and things of that nature. So it was helping me revitalize the City and Overtown. Then I got an idea. I wanted to invite President Reagan to the flea market grand opening, and everybody laughed at me, of course. And uh, so I sent the letter out, and I got a letter back two weeks later from the president's office. And he said, sorry that the president can't come due to scheduling, but we're going to send a representative. And they sent Carrie Meeks. Carrie Meeks happened to be the state representative and then later became Senator Meeks. And of course, they check you out thoroughly before they come to you. And um, she saw what I was doing. She went to the Martin Luther King Foundation and they presented me with the Martin Luther King Award on stage in front of 60,000 people. Ah. It was the wildest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. Now, I was still using at the time not as heavy, but I was still using. So there's things that I did going through. So as far as I was concerned, there was nothing wrong with me. But my family, there was things wrong with me, but I just didn't see it. So my family did an intervention on me and I told you who my family was. So I'm wondering who's doing an intervention on them. And, and um, my mother said she'll never talk to me again. So I said, you know what? Let me go into treatment and have them leave me alone. And I had some cocaine in my sock. I went into the bathroom and did a couple of hits. And then I went into uh, into the treatment center. And um, I remember the, the therapist saying to me, oh, let me digress a little bit too. What I wind up doing, I used to do collection work for the smugglers. I, I used to sell drugs. Okay. So I became everything I didn't want to become. So I became everything my family was, which I always said I would never be, but that's what wind up happening. So I went in there and then they wanted me to share my most deepest and darkest secrets with the group. I said, if I do that, I have to kill you. So, uh, you know, it was just like, I said, what am I doing? I don't belong with these people. I wouldn't even get high with these people. So uh, the bottom line was, is that I was just like everybody. But of course, when the drugs influence your brain and you don't realize that you're being influenced, you know, you're in denial about what's going on because you're really working from a fog and not work from clarity. Once I started to clean up or clear up, I started to realize that, wow, I hurt myself. I hurt my family. And I started to get more, more clarity about what's going on. How and long did that
0: take, John, from when you went into the treatment center? About, took, to about,
1: three, up. about three weeks. Now, I, I was I was really not detoxing. I was detoxing, but I wasn't. I was on, I was doing cocaine and smoking. Well, I wasn't smoking, but I was just doing cocaine at the time. So anyway, treatment is called a detox. They're not detoxing anybody. They're stabilizing them. Mm-hmm. To detox somebody, to so detoxify them. Uh, I wanted to go home. Was like, I went in December 4th, and it was around Christmas time. I wanted to go home for Christmas Eve. I said, I want to see the kids. I do not want them to come here to see me in treatment. I was lying. I wanted to come home. So my friends would come give me Christmas cards with Coke in it, and I would get high. But uh, they turned me down, and I got very crazy. And I See, I don't know about anybody else, but I never just got angry. I got rageful. And it didn't just go away in 10 minutes or an hour. Sometimes it lasted for a whole day. And anyway, went running into my room, cursing, punching the door. And I remember my therapist said, hey, John, you ever pray on your knees? And I remember telling him, what are you, a joke? I went to Catholic school. I got calluses on my knees. So I says, uh, he says, no, no, for humility. I said, humility? You mean God doesn't hear me? How about if I'm in a closet? Would he hear me then? So he said, no, no, John, just think about that. And, and it stuck in my mind. And that's what therapy does sometimes. People just click in and they don't even realize that they're clicking into it. And anyway, I went to get down on my knee and I just may sound a little crazy to the audience. Uh, I couldn't get down on my knee, it wouldn't go down. So what I did was I, I remembered so clearly. I had to push my knee down, I pushed my second knee down. And for the first time I prayed to whatever was out there to just get rid of this pain I had inside of me, this emptiness, this loneliness, this, this shame, this guilt. And my anger went away, like it never was there. Wow. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but it never happened to me. So as sick as I really was, I tried to get it back. <laughs> wouldn't come back. So that was like one of my spiritual awakenings and treatment. Eventually I got out of treatment. There's more than happened, but you're going to look at the book. Uh, then I, uh, you know, I only went to the ninth grade. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, I got divorced and I wound up, my wife took everything. She got, well, I gave her everything. She didn't take anything. And I wound up uh, being homeless. <coughs> Excuse me.
0: You know, I had
1: I didn't have a car, I didn't have a house. Friend of mine owned a hotel; he gave me a room. Another friend of mine loaned me a bicycle, and then I had a big jar I used to put quarters in when I had quarters. My kids used to come, and they all used to, we all used to cry together, and that's how I started my journey. <coughs> Excuse me. I got an idea about opening up a treatment center. It's my first treatment center. And I'm gonna run through all that and make it real quick. I went in partners with my, uh, my doctor and my therapist and my therapist, he wasn't my partner, he worked for me. Uh, I raised $250,000. And the way I did that is the guy that owned the hotel was my friend. And um, I told him I had this doctor that was famous, and I did, but I didn't because I never spoke to him. It was my doctor, but I never told him about a treatment center. So why lied. And uh, he says, well, if you got that doctor, how much money do you need? Now, what do I know about how much money you need? The only thing I know about treatment centers, I was in one. So I said, a quarter of a million dollars. He said, well, you got it if you can get him. Said, okay. So I got him. I walked into his office and I, and I said, Jules, I got a quarter of a million dollars. Would you like to open up a treatment center? And he said, no, John. He says, I was just thinking about that. He was always a comedian. So we went partners. I hired, I didn't know it was unethical. I hired all the people from Mount Sinai that treated me. I gave them almost double their salaries. And we opened up the treatment center and we were very successful. But my therapist that I hired, I gave him twice what he was making. Uh, I didn't like the fact that he was working for his client. So anyway, long story short, they, uh, he took the treatment center out from under me. And they said that my, part, my friend was stealing money, but he never had contact with the money or the checkbook. So it was a joke. So my friend said they're stealing. So I said, no, they're in recovery. <laughs> you know, I got sober and I got stupid. You know, I'm a street kid, I don't, you know, but anyway. I walked into the doctor's office. and like, are you stealing? And he would put his head down. He says, yes. He had a sex addiction. Now, they were only three years clean. So, you know, early in recovery, our behaviors don't leave us so quickly. And most often, most people have more than one addiction. So he was buying apartments for girls and buying hookers, and we couldn't make payroll. So that's how this all came about. So anyway, now I'm stuck because I can't leave because I just got my GED. I want to be a therapist. I got 300 hours of addiction training at the college. And now I needed 6,000 hours for supervised on-the-job training in order to apply for my certification. So I stuck it out for about four years, six years, I don't even remember. And uh, I got my certification wow. and to make it short, I, I, instead of going to all the details, I left there, I went and my friend says, listen, I have another, they gave, they never paid me uh, the percentage they were supposed to pay me because they gave me an outpatient program that had three clients. Mm-hmm. And they were supposed to pay me a percentage of what I was making. They never did, I we got a, a salary. Mm-hmm. So, Eventually I got a contract when it was leaving because I threatened to beat him up. And I was in recovery. I didn't want to do that, but you know, I closed the, I went into his office and said, I'm gonna rearrange your face. Okay, if you don't give me my contract, because then I didn't care because I had my certification. I learned everything there was about a treatment center. I don't run it. Um and he knew who my uncle was, all right. So he got scared and they gave me a contract, and then I quit three months later. They gave me $80,000 and they made millions. Yeah. So I had another addiction called a spending addiction. Now that money went real quick. Yeah. Then uh, my friend said to me, Hey, John, I have a guy that wants to open up a treatment center. I, I, he says, I, he, says well, "He says, How much money do you need? I said, Oh, I said a quarter of a million dollars. I don't know. I kept saying a quarter. I don't know why, but I did. So he said to me, okay, make a business plan. I said, I don't know how to make a business plan. You know, so he says, I'll do it for you. So he made a business plan. I went up to meet the guy in West Palm Beach and I forgot the business plan. So now I'm two minutes away from the guy. I can't go home. I got to go forward. So I went forward and I explained to the guy, sorry, man, I I forgot the business plan. He said, I don't care. Here's a napkin. Tell me where you need the money and what's going on. So I did. So he gave me the money and we opened up a 3 center. It was very successful. But the problem was I made the same mistake the second time. I never had a lawyer. I never read what I was signing. <coughs> Excuse me. So what happened was one day I walked in and he said, I'm firing you. I said, Excuse me, I'm your partner. You can't fire me. You need a contract. He didn't lack. It.
0: Just
1: to say the I'm praising here. I didn't like the fact that I spent dollars on phone. I in dollars business. And, um, so I said, you can't fire me. And he said, well, you're fired. So what I did was I told him I was going to throw him through a window. And then my recovery kicked in. And the guy that was the clinical director was my sponsor. And I took him away from his job, who was making 29000 a year. and gave him 50000 a year. He just bought a house. He said, John, I can't leave. So I said, but you don't know how to run this business. He says, we well, have no one. I can't leave. So I didn't know. Later on, I found out he was a corporate raider. You know, he would get somebody that knew what they were doing, build a business up, and then take it off from under them. So I'm sitting in the parking lot with my little box with all my stuff, starting to cry. I can't believe that this happened again to me. Then I wound up being the clinical director for uh, an indigent facility, 55-bed, HIV clients, uh, dual-diagnosed clients. That means people that have addiction and mental health issues. And it was an old therapeutic community. There's a kind of, put you in the middle of the room, they break you down and then they build you back up. I, 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 did, I said, this doesn't make sense. I don't know about anybody else. I didn't need any help breaking myself down. I did a good enough job on my own. And then they would feed him chocolate cakes and ice cream and all this stuff at lunchtime. And then the people would act out an hour, half hour later. Then we would put them on a bench, put a sign around their neck. I said, this is ridiculous. So I quit. Then a lady I was going out with at the time said, why don't you open up your own treatment center? I said, no, 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 no. I had enough for treatment centers. I only had $300 in the bank. So I told, I says, okay. So I went over to my friend who owned this little building next to his office, 750 square foot building. I said, how much, Bill, how much would it be for the rent? He says, how much do you have? I said, well, I only have $300. He said, tell you what, get it going for a couple of months, two or three months, and then pay me $300 a month. So that's what I did. And it was only me working there. Then my friend who worked with me at The Better Way, which was the, the indigent program, quit there and came with me. I told him, I give you 50% of the business. Well, I didn't have much business. He said, well, let me see the books. I said, what books? I don't have any books. He said, well, how do you know who pays you? Well, they give me money and put it in my pocket. Don't worry, they'll pay. He laughed, he said, that's crazy. So he took over the business part. And then his son got involved was an internet genius. And what wind up happening, uh, eventually, we started about 18 years later. And we had creditors chasing us. We couldn't make payrolls sometimes. Um, it was crazy. But we still gave treatment to people that didn't have any money, which was even more crazy, but we wanted to help everybody. We never was after the money. It was after helping God's kids. And so what happened, what up happening was, is that I got connected with a doctor, Deborah Mash. Uh, she was a neuromolecular scientist from the University of Miami School of Medicine. She was the head of the brain bank and the head of their Alzheimer's Foundation. Wow. And she was doing this experimental drug called Ibogaine. Uh-huh. And I called her up. They were looking for people to volunteer. So I called her up. He said, look, I'm too busy for this. And She said, I'm sorry. I already have enough people in Hong Kong." Okay, six months later, I get a phone call. It was her. And she said, look, everywhere I go, your name pops up. Because you see, I was doing holistic approaches to addiction. Okay, I was giving them nutrients. I was checking out if we have any allergy. I was doing all kinds of different things that nobody was doing. It probably
0: was working better than the usual approach, was it?
1: Right. And, you know, and I was getting a hell of a reputation. So <coughs> we got together. And then I was getting a lot of clients from her, and then we should send them to St. Kitts. And I, because it, it was a doing one drug, you can't do it here in the States. Ibogaine is a bush from West Africa okay. that was done by the Weenie tribe that utilized it for a rite of passage and it was a partial psychedelic. But it detoxes people in 24 hours from opiates, from methadone, from alcohol. It's like wild. And not of that, they come out and they don't have any cravings. Wow. So I worked with Dr. Metz. I still work with her, it. so it's over 20 something years now. Um, and that's how it helped me to build the treatment center, along with my partners, Jerry and Gerald, who were instrumental, because it's always a team, it's never one person that builds anything. And uh, so we had this team together, had the greatest staff in the world. Well, we wind up having seven buildings and 147 employees. And we sold it in 2012 for $45 Wow,
0: congratulations. Now, if you
1: ever would have told me that, I probably would have punched you in the face thinking that you're making fun of me. But this is what happened. So I still do God's work. I still write books. I lecture all over the world. I'm currently part of a team uh, of researchers, scientists, clinicians uh, from around 15 universities. Mm-hmm. I've been currently in now 79 medical and scientific peer-reviewed journals. Uh, I lecture all over the world. I've lectured to over 100 countries already. Uh, I lecture internationally. I've been in Budapest. they have been in Taipei and uh, Chicago, Baltimore. And then the COVID hit. Now we do it online. And that's where I am today. Wow,
0: John, let me ask you a question. You had an amazing success. You're obviously an extremely smart person that got derailed by the way you were born and the way life went. What do you think was the main reason in the end you turned out so successful?
1: Well, the main reason was I just kept doing the work, you know, and I felt that I was helping God's kids because you see, I was very selfish and self-centered most addicts are. and to me, it was more about giving back than taking. and by putting one foot in front of the other and never ever saying that I can't approve of what I'm doing. So I was always what we did at my treatment center, and nobody's we had a reputation that was unbelievable. Uh, we were packed. it was crazy. I Incredible. It was nobody, even to this day, did the kind of treatment we did. Some of the things we did was neurofeedback, biofeedback. Ah, You're breaking
0: up a little bit. Let's go back when the holistic kind of treatment because Zoom was breaking up. It's still broken. It's okay.
1: Still me?
0: Let's take a little break and we'll wait until the uh, internet on your side comes back through. Come on. Sometimes it helps to take the video off and put it back on.
1: Let's try that. Okay. okay. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, the kind of treatment we did was neurofeedback, biofeedback. We did light and sound therapies. We did, uh, we checked people for allergies, discuss certain allergies could cause depression. We also did heavy metal testing because that also can cause disruption in neurotransmission. We did gene testing because I worked with a Dr. Ken Blum. He's the geneticist that found the addiction gene. So if we found that if you have a mild, moderate, or severe propensity for addiction. now just because you have that gene doesn't mean that you're going to be an addict because such thing as epigenetics. Epigenetics means the social environment can change the gene expression. We did amino acid therapy. We did 15 studies, double blind studies. We showed how this amino acid compound upregulated dopamine, which is the feel and serotonin, which is the feel good drugs that we manufacture naturally. Uh, We also treated the microbiome or microbiota, your gut, your flora in your gut, because that's where 60 to 90% of serotonin and dopamine is manufactured and goes up your vagus nerve into your brain and deposits the dopamine and serotonin. Most people don't realize this, that a lot of inflammation, a lot of autoimmune diseases come from your gut, which is now being called the second brain. I did this 20 years ago.
0: Wow, you're a real pioneer in uh, brain health really, as it relates to
1: addiction. Right, and then we did hyperbaric medicine. That's That's oxygen under pressure. Which originally was used for the bends, where people would go down into the ocean and have nitric oxide in their blood. They would have to go into a chamber and and you know rebalance their their blood, so they wouldn't get the bends. All right, but it was also used for wound healing, and now they found that it was for TBI cases, traumatic brain injury cases. Well, drugs and alcohol damage the brain. Yeah. <clears throat> There's such a thing called pause, post-acute withdrawal syndrome. And you ask most doctors what do you do for that? They don't know, they say time. But we knew, what we did is we used used oxygen under pressure to help heal the brain. So we did that also. Uh, We did so many, we gave them also different nutrients. We did micronutrient testing to see where they were deficient. We found people that 85% of the people had heavy metal toxicity. And heavy metals, okay, when you have an overabundance, mimics bipolar disorder and attention deficit disorder. So instead of throwing medication at them, we wanted to see what the core issue was and what's driving it. Then we checked the hypoglycemia because a lot of alcoholics have sugar problems because alcohol, as you know, is fermentation and from sugar. Then, why well, we did so much stuff? I mean, it's, a, awesome. it's a, you know, uh, we check for all kinds of different things, you know.
0: Now, let me ask you, you did all those things, and uh, I'm affiliated with Dr. Daniel Amen. You certainly heard of him. Because... No, I know
1: Dr. Amen, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And uh, did you ever work with him too?
1: No, well, I worked with Dr. Harch. Now, Dr. Harch worked with Dr. Amen. Okay. Okay. And Dr. Hartz and Dr. Williamson, who my they're my friends also, and who I work with, okay, are the ones that went to the Senate and got them to approve wound healing uh, for diabetics in the VA. Yeah, they're pioneers. I am so blessed. I work with the pioneers in addiction and mental health. Yeah, I mean the people that I met, Dr. Mark Gold, who's uh, wrote the book 800 Cocaine. Yeah. Uh, he was the head psychiatrist for Chance up in Gainesville. Um, he's on. He was on the president's board uh, in Washington for addiction. I worked with Dr. Blum, the geneticist. I worked with Dr. Mesh. I worked with uh, all these different scientists and researchers. I'm friends with them, and I work. I'm also, uh, uh, believe it or not, this is so funny, I'm on an editorial board for a journal. I mean, I only went to really a ninth grade. I got a GED, but I got a bunch of certifications.
0: Johnny, the amount of education you finished is never proportional to your IQ. And I think my, my, my dear husband that I'm married to now uh, hasn't finished grade nine. He, he can't read or write. He's the smartest man I know. Sometimes the school systems, the circumstances just fail the people. I was fortunate it didn't fail me, but many people got failed, and that doesn't make them worse or in any way inferior, and I totally believe that. Now, what I noticed when you were talking about your story, I think you don't credit yourself enough for your social intelligence. You seem to be very good at making connections with people and actually getting them to buy into your ideas and helping you
1: help others. Well, you know why? I speak from my heart, not from my head. Right. I don't have a hidden agenda. See, most people are afraid. Well, that's for my karate also. I'm also a, a grandmaster in the martial arts. I'm in the Black Belt Hall of Fame. I just got put in another Hall of Fame, an international Hall of Fame. Wow! Uh, I, I'm a five-time or ten-time national karate champion. Uh, you know all this kind of stuff. God blessed me with a lot of gifts, and finally, I'm applying those gifts to helping people. And you know, when I tell, when I when I write in the book and I show people, no matter what kind of family you have, you come from no matter what your education you see, when I went to school, I was gonna get licensure. So I went to college to get uh, a mental health license. I opened up the book. I looked when the book was printed, it was seven years old. It's already outdated. I said, by the time I leave college, it's gonna be antiquated. Why am I doing this? Plus I'll have debt. So I says, I'm gonna do, I, I'm, I have a master's in moral linguistic program. I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm a criminal justice specialist. I'm a mitigation specialist. I'm also an expert witness for the feds and for the state. I mean, I went a different route. And then with all the medical journals, I mean, now they gave me an honorary doctorate degree from Sinai University uh, for my work in the communities. Uh, I went a different route. You know, I'm not against college, but when I look at college, it's more of a business today than actually a, a learning place. Unless you you have a direction, like a lawyer or doctor or whatever, to me, you're wasting your time because for the simple reason, 95% of what you learn in college are already used.
0: I totally agree. I actually tell young people, think twice before you enroll in college and throw your money out of the window, unless you really want to have a specialized degree where you need it. Because otherwise, you can learn much more on the net with box with talking to people like yourself that are in the forefront of of science now let me ask you you were enormously successful financially and in business and you are highly educated and and hats off for that how did your personal life pin out
1: my personal life was a nightmare before i was in treatment i'm married four times My father told me, keep doing it till you get it right. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: a, that's an attitude. Okay. <laughs> okay.
1: So what happened was I, I got married while I was in recovery. But I was still new in recovery. And I, my choices weren't the greatest. And I still had some old behaviors. But what happened was the woman that I was married to was also in recovery. But she pushed me to go get a degree in this and go get a certification in that. But meanwhile, she had severe OCD and we just didn't get along. And uh, and the bottom line was, is that the woman I'm with today, the most incredible human being I've ever met, we're together going on, well, not going on, we're 27 years together. Uh, When I first met her, she was in my treatment center. I didn't even know my first treatment center, the hospital program I was part of. And she always had a crush on me, but I don't know, I didn't ever pay attention to the clients that way. And um, as time went on, we kept running into each other and she was in school being an intern and I was running a group and she uh, came into my group as an intern and uh, she was chewing gum. I said, excuse me, ma'am, stop chewing the gum, spit that out and sit down. So that's how we first met. So my son happened to cause a lot of problems in school and was with me for the day. So when I got out of the group, she says, hey, dad, that girl really likes you. I says, oh, okay. So I handed her my card and I said, listen, if you ever wanna be an, uh, an intern in my program, I had another program, give me a call. So two weeks later, she gave me a call. And I says, she says, you remember me? And I says, oh yeah. Uh, I said, you want to be an intern? She says, no, I want to go out with you. So he says, oh, okay. (laughs) So that was how we started off. Three months later, you know, I I had this treatment center with the $300 thing, and we were struggling really bad, and we needed to grow, and I couldn't grow because I didn't have any money. So I saw She had a car, a brand-new car, and the kids were wrecking the car. So I told her, I said, look, sell the car. Give me the money. And I'll buy your car 10 times better one day. So that's what she did. Wow. She sold the car, gave me $20,000. And I don't know, about seven years later, I bought her a Bentley. Wow. So that's that story.
0: What a story. John, let me ask you do you believe in fate and destiny?
1: I believe we make our own destiny. And I believe if you're doing God's work, whatever happens is supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. One of the podcasters asked me once, what would you change in your life if you had to change something? I said, absolutely nothing. Because everything that happened to me brought me to where I am today.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Is there anything that you would tell your young John, say you would talk to yourself when you're 20? Say that again? If you could talk to your young self, say at 20, what would you tell John then?
1: Same thing I tell my son that doesn't listen. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. You all have to make your own not. mistakes. Absolutely. Listen, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear.
0: <laughs> That's so
1: true. So not until then.
0: That reminds me of my kids. I didn't listen either. <laughs>
1: but
0: they turned out just right.
1: <laughs> no matter what I say, it's it's... Oh, no, you're no, not. No. I went, uh, okay.
0: Love that. John, you're so authentic. I really love that. So, your life is not over. What is going on with, with John for the rest oh, of the Oh, I'm
1: starting on a new journey now. I found two things that are incredible. One thing I found was uh, are you familiar with the Atlas, what that is? What? Part of our body. It's called the Atlas. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Okay, the atlas is the part that holds up your head. It's a floating bone. That's the yeah. top of your vertebrae. So I met this doctor through a friend of mine. And the guy said he was a chiropractor. He give it a pain. So look, chiropractors are good. Some are not. He said, no, no, he doesn't even touch her. I said, oh, he's a magician. I got cute with him. He said, no, no, John, you got to go. I said, okay. I was always open-minded. So I went there and I have stenosis in my back. So that's where the narrow of the spine where the nerves go through, okay? And a lot of pain in my back from judo, from karate, and in my neck. So I went there, I did some tests, he took an x-ray, I came back, gave him the CD, he made some calculations, put it in his computer, and he has this machine. You lay on the table, and this little bar goes near your neck, and a sense of frequency to your atlas, and it, it brings it back into alignment of its genetic predisposition. Now, I had one leg shorter than the other. So he tells my wife, Come around the end of the table. Now look at his feet. They were even. I get off the table. I have no more pain. That, that was sick. the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. Uh-huh. So now I'm looking at it Well, I've been helping him. and But what he didn't look at, he's only looking at it to help chiropractors and chiropractic schools. I said, You're missing the boat. So what do you mean? I said, Let me explain to you about addiction. People, whether they're addicts or not, get stuck in Oxycontin, Oxycodone, because they have injuries, all right? They want to get off of these these pills. They go to detox. We get it off. We get them off. They come back out. They still have the pain. We tell them to do yoga and stretching, which helps, okay, but they still have the pain. And eventually, they wind up going back on the organs. If this takes care of the pain, like I've been watching it do,
0: it's going to
1: be incredible. So now we're doing, I'm doing a, 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 a paper on it. We have Mike, our team, is doing, uh, Dr. Blum and the team are going to do a peer-reviewed journal on this.
0: Awesome.
1: And I want to present it to NIDA, NIH, National Institute of Health, and show them the benefit of this. And here's the backup stuff. Now I sent 15 people there and 15 people come back and say, what is this? Their pain's gone. Wow. So now I found another thing. Are you familiar with ketamine? Yes. Okay. My wife's bipolar disorder. She suffers. She's been on medication for 43 years. She's a completely different woman. And we're titrating her off medication. And I've seen a bunch of people the same way. It's when done properly, in a proper setting, you know, unbelievable.
0: John, what I really love about you, you're open to all avenues that help people heal. You're not only one-dimensional, like conventional medicine often is in North America, and I truly love that. Congratulations to your achievements. I just want to tell you that it is amazing, and I hope you live long and do more of those things. I've heard of all those things, and you are the right advocate to bring it to the higher channel, so maybe somebody in the system accepts them.
1: Well, you got to understand, the pharmaceutical companies, we're walking cash registers for them.
0: I know. Okay. Anything
1: that cures anything, they look to destroy it.
0: Absolutely. And the agroceutical industry, that's what I call them, Yeah. First they give you junk food so you get sick and then they give you pills to keep you sick.
1: Right. And then they give you pills If you get constipated from those pills, to get you, not constipated.
0: They make you miserable. And then they make you even sicker, you need more pills. Many- Well, old, you know, all the things
1: that I learned, like I said, I had, my blood pressure was a little high. So now I learned how to learn over the years how to take it down. My diet wasn't good. I got cancer in my throat. And what that was from was HPV. All right. What happened? I caught COVID. I got rid of that in two and a half days because my, my doctor was an alternative doctor. Ivumectin. Right. Don't use Ivumectin, baloney.
0: Great stuff. In Canada, you lose your license as a doctor if you prescribe it. Isn't that ridiculous?
1: Yes. they're They're, they're stupid. Uh, and then we use uh, monoclonal uh, antibodies uh-huh. and ibmectin. And then I had uh, uh, a steroid and antibiotic. Yes. Uh, well, there's right? an
0: excellent FLCC protocol that will work, but it, it's not generally accepted because it's-,
1: so the, it's the, Right. The reason I got the, the, what happened was my immune system went <clears down throat> from the COVID uh-huh. and HPV, you know, is was a virus, stays in your body for forever. That's so it had to
0: change.
1: So I changed my whole diet around. My cholesterol was 212. It went down to 166 with the different nutrients that I take and the different diet that I'm doing. My A1C was 6.1. Now it's 5.5. And my blood work is perfect.
0: How is your omega 3 6 ratio? What? You don't know your omega 3 6 ratio? Oh, I have to send you my blog post about it. It's more important than cholesterol. I'll send you that. You want to know about that?
1: But what right. is it? Sorry, I didn't understand. Omega
0: you. three six fatty acids ratio in the oh, yeah, blood. Omega
1: three, of course. That's what I take.
0: No, no. You have to. The index is important. The relationship. Yes.
1: That's and right. You can measure
0: that in the blood, and it should be more than eight. That's right. I I give you some information. It's very like, very. Right. whatever you got Put science behind it i love that now john to wrap this whole thing up uh if somebody says wow that man is awesome i want to contact john i want to buy his book where can they do it where can they find They can him?
1: get the book on amazon i got a few books on there uh how to beat your addictions and live a quality life uh i have one that i'm with a bunch a bunch of researchers and scientists uh, about the 12 step book and the nor- neurobiology of the 12 steps. And then I had the kid from the South Bronx who never gave up. They go to my website, John, the initial J, Giordano.com.
0: Awesome. And I'll make sure to share oh, that Amazon. Under the video. Amazon
1: has the books. So, you know. Yeah.
0: What I'll do is I'll share your website and your name, of course, under the video as I usually do in the podcast notes and I'll put it on my website and I'll put your book right underneath so they can just stick on it and buy it. Alrighty. It is so worth doing and reading your whole story. It's inspirational, John. You're an example of how somebody can whip themselves out of nothing and never give up and be an example, a role model for others. Thank you so much. And I'm
1: still going. Absolutely. Go long. Still going. Oh, it's hard I, to hit a, it's, I learned something. It's hard to hit a moving target. They got to keep one. moving.
0: And you know, once you hit the 100, you're pretty safe because the statistics say hardly anybody dies that's older than 100. Most people die. <laughs> I always laugh when people are afraid of uh, statistics and, and they're dying from COVID. I say, do you go to bed at night? They say, yeah. I said, don't you know? Most people die in bed. How can you go to bed? It's a dangerous place, statistically showing. People die in bed all the time. <laughs> well, it's sarcastic, but
1: that's, it does that's, people, that's people's fears. They, they, yeah, they to...
0: Statistics can be misinterpreted in any way. And
1: this uh, statistics to know what and somebody's difference. thoughts, I'm, you know, I learned about research. You can twist research in different ways if you want to.
0: Mm-hmm. I got paid to do that when I was in medical school. <laughs> our, our boss that uh, I did my ex-husband's dissertation. And he told us what the outcome was supposed to be. And we had two small children. We needed the job. The outcome was what he wanted. It wasn't real, but it was what he wanted. It's still peer reviewed study out there. So I say that as an example, there's a lot.
1: That's with okay. the pharmaceutical companies, they pay these doctors money and they, they twist things around.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, so, and, and you know. it's not ethical, but it's done all the time because they don't want to lose their job. That's right. Okay, that said, thank you so much. You're thank a very you. amazing person. Keep on going and I hope to hear from you again.
1: Thank you so much for having me on and I hope we helped at least one person.
0: I think we will help more than that i i intend to spread it far and wide as much as i can and i know people want to hear that story because anybody can do anything if they really want to put one foot in front of the other and do the work you've done it thank you so much john thank you take care and that's the end of sparkles for better mental health And make sure to tune in for the next episode. Bye-bye.